0: You know, in this day and time that we're living in, it's, it's, it challenges your joy. I mean, if you turn on the news, if you turn on the news, it challenges your joy. I mean, earthquakes are happening. Politics are happening. We need an earthquake in the politics to happen. You know, every everything, so much the the sickness and disease is It's happening. And, you know, in that, Lynette and I have been kind of talking about the book of Revelation. And how, you know, we're seeing Revelation begin to unfold in front of us. I mean, you read that book. Have you ever read that book? Oh, my goodness. It's so mystical. But you know what? As things move forward, we're seeing those things unfold what the enemy wants to do in that is steal your joy. And I heard it said one time, if, if the enemy can steal your joy, he can steal your stuff. If you've got joy, he can't take your stuff. He can't take your health. He can't take your finances. He can't take your kids. He can't take anything from you. If you remain in joy, well, pastor, how do you remain in joy during this time? man, you just got to, you got to get into the presence of God. Amen. You got to stay in the presence. Amen. You got to be always conscious and moving forward in his presence. Amen. Amen. And so I was, I, I got up this morning. And I was pretty doggone nervous about coming to church today. So, you know, I've been doing this for 28 years and yes, I still get nervous. <laughs> had this thing going on. I said, God, I need, I need a word from you this morning. So I opened up my Bible and Psalm 98 come up and said, sing to the Lord a new song, one of joy and one of peace, not what the world wants to share, not the, the confusion and the disruption. He wants us to sing a new song to him. So if you've never sing a new song, today's your day to do it. Get the mic for you and you come. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. But but that's where your joy comes from is singing to him a new song. Singing to him a new song in his presence. And that's where joy comes in. And you know what? If you have joy, you have strength. If you have joy, the enemy can't steal your stuff. If you have joy, the book of Revelation is going to become a book of blessing. And not fear. It's not fear. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. Did you know fear is an illusion? It's an illusion. So don't give in to the illusion. Give in to joy. Amen. Father, thank you for joy. Thank you for joy. Thank you for joy. God, it's not just happiness, it's joy. And joy it goes down yes. deep in our heart yes. and settles in our souls and brings out a new song to you, a song of praise, amen. a song of love, and a song of joy in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Y'all receive that? All right, here's what I want you to do. Before you sit down, turn around look look somebody in the eye and tell them, I got joy, you got joy. Amen. Well, it sounds like you got joy. Well, how's everybody doing today? Y'all doing good? Man, God is good. God is good. God is good. Amen. Amen. All the time. time. Well, today is August 1st. Can y'all believe today is August 1st? Ain't that crazy? I mean, what's that? Is oh, there you go. All right. <clears throat> well, the beginning of every month, we like to pray over our finances. And the, one of the coolest things that I've seen happen for us in this church is that last year, during the pandemic, during all the shutdown. When we weren't able to come and meet in this building, um, God did something so cool for us as he gave us the ability to pay this building off and this property off. That was last year. During, during a time where people weren't coming, where people were we was doing online stuff, and, and um, man, God just increased us financially. To the to the to the place where we're able to pay off the building, that is a thirty-year note. In ten years, we were able to pay it off, <clears throat> and it's because it's because of you. It's because of people believing in what goes on here, and and we appreciate that so much for partnering with us. If you are a partner with us, if you partner with us in finances, uh, thank you so much. If you don't partner us with us in finances this would be a good place to do it. I, I just say that. I'm not going to tell you to partner with us, but if you want to partner with us, what what Lynette and I have experienced over the years is that when we partner financially with another ministry or with a ministry, that ministry's gift begins to start flowing in our lives. because Because the word says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And when your heart is in that and your finances are in that, it partners you with what they have that is special that they do. And so here, we're special all the way around. Amen. Amen. And if you just want to have a good a good um rounded blessing in your life, you can partner with us financially. Okay. I knew it that preacher would want money at some point. Nah. I say partner where God tells you to partner. Amen. That's, the, that's the joy of partnership here at this church is we're not going to say you partner here. But if you like this, partner here and watch what God will begin to do in your life. Amen. Right. Amen. And so I think that we're in a time of miracle signs and wonders. I believe that miracles, will ha- miracles are happening in our presence. Amen. There's cancers and tumors that are disappearing that we hear about often beginning to happen, not, not happening down the road, happening here. Yeah. Amen. There's people getting financial freedom because they partner here. And so if you want to partner here, I believe you'll step into that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And when you give the Bible says, it'll be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And so anyways, I, I just want to thank you guys for, for giving here and, and partnering with us and, watching what God's doing. Amen? So let me, let me pray. If you, if you are a partner with us, I'm praying over you. If you're not a partner with us, I'm praying over you. Wherever you partner, that is what's going to take place in your life. So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word considering our, um, concerning our finances. Father, and I thank you so much that you give to us in order for us to give back into you and to bring your kingdom into this earth. We thank you so much for what you've done for us financially, not just this church, but the people of this church, and we give you glory and honor and praise for all the fruit that's born out of it, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. How are you all doing today? Good deal. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I would like for you to go over to 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings is right after 1 Kings. And I, I want you to go over there. We're going to put it up on the screen if you didn't bring your Bible, but, man, you can pull up your Bible app or whatever and uh, go to Second Kings chapter 7. And um, just a little bit about my story. Maybe, you know, you've heard this. Uh, if you've been coming for very long, you've heard this. Um, but um, some of you haven't. And so I got born again. I, I, I was... I became a Christian when I was five years old. When I when I was five years old, my my mom was taking they were my mom was dragging me and my brother to church, and uh, I remember sitting one Sunday morning and hearing a message preached. And I tugged on my mom's skirt and I said, "I I think I need to go down there." She says, "Hold on, Let's, let's think about this. Let's talk about this." So we went home from church that morning. Of course, I grew up in a denomination that they were meeting Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and we were there. Um, but she says, "Let's see how you feel tonight when you when you go back to church." Well, once again, when the the, the message was done, uh, the pastor called, did an altar call. If you if you want to be born again, come up front. And so I went up there. My mama took me up there, and the preacher came down off the stage and he prayed with me, and I received Jesus into my life. That that but I don't remember what the message was. But I know the nomination that I was raised in enough to know that I believe that I tugged on my mom's skirt because I didn't want to go to hell. Right. They are famous for the hell message, you know, and they scare the hell out of you. And so I wanted the hell out of me. So I I did tug on, you know, when when somebody starts preaching on hell at five years old, you become a little impressionable. So I I gave my life to Jesus that night, five years old. And for the next 12 years, I was in church. Uh, Still, there were times that my mama had to drag me to church. She'd say, I thought you were a Christian. You better go to church. You remember that hell message? so um for seven for for uh twelve years at seventeen years old, I watched the church that I was in I watched the um, the 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 lack of integrity I watched uh people people that are that were in leadership make mistakes that were in my eyes hypocritical because i I believe that I believe that the the pastor and the leadership should be an, an example to the church more than they are hypocritical in the church. And so I got this thing in my head that the church was hypocritical. So 17 years old, I walked away. I mean, college was offering me Keystone Light <laughs> and Boone's Farm. Now, some of y'all know what I'm saying, do you? Uh, so I, at 17 years old, I walked away from the faith that I knew. But at 24 years old, so about seven years later, at 24 years old, I found myself struggling with my identity because those 12 years that I spent in church as a kid, I knew what was right. I knew what I should be doing. I knew I should, how I should be living and And so I was struggling with my identity, even though during that time I had a career job, I had good friends, I had um a place to live, and that was with my parents at twenty four years old. But what I found is that i was that i was that's what I found right there that's what I was that's the way I was acting, my mom and dad will tell you that. <laughs> but I found that I was failing at life. Even though I had all this good stuff going for me, I was failing at life. My, my path, there was no vision, there was no hope, there was no integrity, and there were very little morals that I had. And, but I knew what was right. I knew what I'd been raised in. So I began searching for some identity. I, um, I remember going to, I, th- I think it was Barnes and Noble. I don't know if Barnes and Noble was even around then. But I went to a bookstore. And I found this book called Personal Power. And I thought, I, I need some of that personal power stuff. So I started reading it. And it was good. But there was not, uh, just something not sitting right with where I was. And... <clears throat> I had an opportunity, um, a guy that I worked with came and gave me a book called Apostle Cowboy Style. Um, And we sell it, we've got it in the bookstore. Little did I know at that time when he gave me that book, Apostle Cowboy Style, that the author, Glenn Smith, would be my spiritual father down the road. But I was reading that book and I read it in one sitting. He gave it to me. That afternoon, I went home from work at five, and I started reading the book, and I finished it at two o'clock in the morning. But the important thing was, is that halfway through that book, chapter nine, if you pick up that book and get to chapter nine, chapter nine changed everything about me at that point. And I'm reading that book. Even growing up in Oklahoma, I can read. But I read that book and when, we got, when I got to chapter 9 and I got done with chapter 9 I got down beside my bed the way that my denomination told me put my knees on the floor and I began to pray and I said, God, I know what's right and I know I'm not living what's right but I believe that you died for me and I give you my life and I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life Amen. and something happened on the inside of me and what it was is what I like to call an intersection happened. Because I'm going one way in my life, but God comes across in front of me. Right where I'm at. I had a collision with God. I had an intersection with God. And when God, the Spirit of God, intersected my life, it changed me for the rest of my life. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And if I were going to name this message anything, I'm calling it the force of intersection. The force of intersection. What intersection can do in our lives because we've all been intersected or we will be intersected with God. So here in 2 Kings, I want to read this to you. Pretty fascinating story here. I love this story. But here in, in 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3, it says this. It says, Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we'll, uh, we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. If we sit here, we die also. Now, therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. How many of you know that's right? If you're alive, you live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. Going to die anyway. And they arose, these lepers men arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, they... Uh, to, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore, they arose and fled at twilight. And they... and left their camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them, uh, went and hid them. And then they came back and entered another tent. (coughs) Also, and went and hid it then they said to one another we are not doing right this day this day is a day of good news and we remain silent if we wait until morning light some some punishment will come upon us now therefore come and let us go and tell the king's household so they went and called to the gatekeepers of the city and they and they told them saying We went to the Syrian camp, and surprisingly, no one was there, not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied, and the tents intact. And the gatekeeper called out, and they told it to the king's household inside. Stop right there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word today, and I pray, God, that you would help me as I minister your word. Father, those things that you've placed on the inside of me, I pray that they would come out with honor and with integrity to your word and your people would hear it with honor, integrity and integrity to know what to do with it in their lives. Father, I pray that it would strengthen us and honor you in Jesus name, amen. So here's the scene of what's going on here. The kingdom of Israel at this point in time is divided into two sections, two parts. There was northern Israel, which their capital city was Samaria. And then there's southern Israel, which is called the land of Judah, and their capital is Jerusalem. So the, 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 the kingdom is split in, divided into two parts. And so the Syrian army, Syria is a big country above Israel, has come down to invade uh, Israel and Samaria. They've, they've surrounded the walls of Samaria. They've, they've begun to set up camp outside the walls of Samaria. Now, when you look at today's uh, way of warfare, it was so different back then because there wasn't a guy sitting in the office waiting to push a button to destroy a nation that was 2,500 miles away. They were hand-to-hand combat. They were an army that was sieging uh, Samaria, the city of Samaria, to try to take over the nation, but they could not drag all of their um, big equipment out there they've just what they done what they did was set up uh, a what they call war of attrition. Have you ever heard war of attrition War of attrition is where They don't attack the city until the city is so starved out that they can enter in the gates. They cut off the supply line. A war of attrition is cutting off the supply lines of food and things getting into the city because the walls were so big and impenetrable that they would just cut off the supply line, make them starve on the inside so that eventually they'll give up or somebody will open the gate that they get so hungry. So that's what's happening here. The Syrians have cut off all the supply line. There is a famine happening in the walled city of Samaria. The Jews that are in there are starving to death. As you go back into chapter six, what you will see is that, and I did some calculations here of what the word said, but 48 ounces of dove, the bird, you know, dove, not the soap, the bird. The, that dove's poop was anywhere from 250 to $500 for 48 ounces of dove poop. The dove poop they used to, in order to cook their meals. So they couldn't cook their meals, anything that they had. And a donkey's head, because they're down to eating donkeys at this point, a donkey's head was 20 to $35,000 to have to feed your family. So they have now, and, and I hate talking about this because it's so gory, it's so awful. You know, that if they were really to make a true movie about the Old Testament, it'd probably be NC-17 rating on that <laughs> because it's so awful some of the things that's in there. But they, they had resorted to cannibalism on the inside of the walls. As a matter of fact, you go back in chapter six, and you can read about two women who agreed to offer up their babies to eat. Oh. One lady comes to the other one and says, okay, I'll give mine to, to, you You give your kid to eat, for us to eat, and then I'll give you mine later. So they ate the one, and then the other lady ran off. They were having an argument about cannibalism of their own chil- children. Pretty gross, huh? Yeah. It's, I mean, things are bad. You think things are bad here. I cannot believe I paid $5 for a pack of eggs. At least we're not eating babies and donkey heads. So, so, can I get an amen? All right, I got y'all awake now, don't I? So, while a famine is going on inside the city walls, these four lepers, who are Jewish, are outside the city walls, and they 're spending their time in this gate because lepers could not enter into the city they They kicked lepers out because they didn't want to get leprosy in the city and all that kind of thing, so they pushed them out, so they're out in between the city that is fortified and the Syrian army that has tens of thousands of people ready to siege the the the, the city. And these lepers are outside the the gates and they're starving. And they said, well, if we get inside there, if we get inside the city, we're going to starve and die. If we stay here, we're going to die. Might as well go to the enemy's camp and at at least they may feed us something. And if they don't feed us, they're going to kill us. So we die. So those lepers take off. And they're, they, they, go to, they go to surrender to the Syrians, Syrian army. Now, what I understand about the Syrian army, when you read your Bible, it may say Arameans. They were a, they were a group of people from Syria, a group of warriors from Syria. And from what I understand, that they were, would be really similar to what we know as ISIS today. They were brutal people. They were terrible people. And so these lepers, they, go, they, get, they take off to the enemy's camp. So I want to switch gears here for just a second. So if you're a Christian, do you remember what it was like before you became a Christian? I mean, I told you a little bit about my life where I was trying to find this identity um, that, that led me to an intersection with God. We all come to God um, through some level of need i i don't recall ever talking to a person that is a Christian and they became a Christian because it was just a good idea you now i ain 't done that before you know i 've done everything in the world i 've traveled all over the place i, I just think ah, might as well become a Christian. <laughs> I think we all have been somewhere toward rock bottom for God to enter our lives, to be in a place of some kind of perceived need that we would come to God. And, and I believe that we were like these lepers that was like, if I go in there, I'm going to die. If I stay here, I'm going to die. And if I go over here, at least they may feed me something and then I'll die. But that intersection of salvation that we, that I, that you have experienced is such a beautiful picture of the grace of God. It's such a beautiful picture of the grace of God's redemption. Amen? And we're, we're like these lepers. See, before we came to Jesus... We were the Walking Dead. I mean, we had uh, we had we had sin that was eating us alive. We had um, wounds from our childhood. We had brokenness in our life. We were diseased and we were rejected. And, and I think these lepers show that very same thing. That they were diseased and broken and rejected. But they were still people. Just like it says in the New Testament in Ephesians, it says, We are saved by grace through faith. And it's in that intersection of saying, What am I going to do? And God intersects our life that God's work. That, that God works a miracle in our lives. And that, that miracle is just so amazing. How, how does God do that? How does God change our lives? What is the grace of God that changes our lives? How do we explain that? Other than we just walk in. We step into him and he changes us Forever. Forever. Here in, in um, verse five, it says that these lepers. It says they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians, and when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused an army of uh, caused the army of Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses and the noise of a great army. So they looked at one another, and they said, look, the king of Israel is hired out against us. And they, and, and they talk about the, the Hittites and the Egyptians. The Hittites and the Egyptians were known for their chariots and their horses of war. And it scared them. And, and, and what I see here in these, in these verses is that they left at twilight. What time of the day is twilight but supper time? I think these lepers were out there and they're going, I smell food and I'm hungry and I've got to get to a place where, I mean, what are they going to do? They're not cooking in there and we're not cooking out here. So let's go where the cooks are. And the, the fire is burning and, and all that kind of stuff. And they come over the hill. And when they come over the hill, they, they see the, the tents and the uh, equipment and the the, 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 the uh, fires burning. And as they're coming, just four lepers with the presence of God on them scared the whole Syrian army. The whole Syrian army. I like what the, the Bible says. It says the Syrian army said look no what they interpret that as is oh crap <laughs> i told uh, you know they they said look and they could hear i told them that the other day i said i know i'm getting old whenever i have to turn the radio down in the truck in order to see where i'm going <laughs> i mean i used to i used to bump the system you know now i can't see Give me some AM radio. I got to hear. The- I got to hear somebody talk like this. No. Somebody pulls up next to me with their. I'm going, man. When's that light going to turn green? I can't see nothing. Anyways, the the, the-, the Syrian army says, "Look, oh crap." The Hittites and the Egyptians are coming. They've they've hired them out against us. And Syria fled for their lives. They ran for their lives. They took off. They left everything there. They dropped their swords. They dropped everything and took off and left everything there. Tens of thousands of people. They left everything there. And when these lepers come over the hill, they look down into that camp. And there was no one in the camp. So what do hungry lepers do? They find the mess hall. And they, they found the mess hall. And there was all this food. They walk in, there's all this food. There's chicken fried steak, fried chicken. They didn't have pork chops because they were Jewish. But maybe there's lamb chops or something like that. They, they found all the and green beans and mashed potatoes. Man, they're just walking up and down the line. You know, it's like First Cafeteria 2.0. And, and they're walking. And, and they're just walking and grabbing food and they're shoving it in their mouth. And, I mean, it's got like mashed potatoes and gravy hanging off their eyelashes. And they're going, oh, this is so good. This is so good. And so they took pans of barbecue and pans of chicken fried steak and they took it and they hit it. Just in case. And they go back to the camp and they enter into another tent. And, and what's there? Casey Boots? Who, who's that? Lynette, who's that? Michael Kors. There's Michael Kors stuff everywhere. Gucci. Yeah, there, I mean, there's all kinds of good stuff in there. So they, they gather all that stuff up and they run and they hide it. And they come back in the next tent. What's in the next tent? It's, it's like everything that they, they could tell because the tent was a pale blue. It had to be Tiffany's. And they, they walk in and they're, they're gathering up diamonds and gold and stuff like that. And it's stuck to the mashed potatoes in their face. And, and, I mean, they're rolling in diamonds. So they grab and put it in their pockets and they go and they hide it. I remember when God came into my life for the first time. I mean, not at five, but at seven or at 24. When God truly came into my life, it changed everything. And I loved the benefits of what God gave. I mean, um, one of the benefits that he gave was the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit to me. And it wasn't about being able to speak in other tongues or anything like that what the infilling of the Holy Spirit did to me right off the bat was made my Bible come alive. I mean, the, these were just stories before, but now they're a part of my life. The, the, my eyes got open to the Word of God. That was such a cool piece of salvation for me. So back to the lepers. They, they, they went and hid all this stuff. And the last tent that they ran into was the dessert tent. Mm -hmm. Apple cobbler, banana pudding, bluebell ice cream. I mean, they had the the cooler set up over there, and they opened it up, and there was all kinds of bluebell. Cookies and cream, yeah. Yeah good stuff. Good old fashioned vanilla, chocolate. And they're, they're eating the stuff and, and they're going, okay, how are we going to get these chests of ice cream out of here and hide them? You know, what, what are we, how are we going to do this? But there was that one guy that looks up with the gravy still on his face and the diamonds are still stuck to the gravy. And he says, look guys, this is good news to our people. Back in Samaria, this is the good news. All this, there's nobody here and all this spoil. We can't eat this. We can't hide enough of this. We can't get full enough. We need to let our countrymen know that this is out here for the taking. Because if we don't share this good news with someone, they will die. See, it says specifically, Right there in verse 9, it says, Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we remain silent. And if we want... If we want... Oh, if we wait. I'm sorry, there's a shadow on there. If we wait until morning light, some, some punishment will come upon us. That word punishment there means to be guilty of. And they said, if we don't tell somebody of this good news, we're going to be guilty of their death. We've got to let them know. So they did. They ran. But that point where they came to themselves and they said, we've got to share this. That was an intersection where God says, I have given you something. You lepers, I have given you a blessing. I've given you blessing more than you can receive, more than you can hide. And if you don't go share it, your people are going to die. Can I just say to you, church, today, that if you're a Christian, and if you're a Christian, you've been intersected with the good news. And if you don't get that good news out, we will be responsible for somebody going to hell. How many of us enjoy the bounty of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, we live in a time where we've got multiple Bibles. We've got access to Bible studies and devotionals, and, and we do those things. We, we have those personal times with God. We study. We pray. We've got all these things, these benefits that God has given us, but we are hiding it for ourselves and not sharing what God is giving us in his presence and with what he has given us. We've got friends and neighbors and people around us that are sieged in attrition. They're in a famine and they don't even know it. Or maybe they're in a famine and they do know it. But they're being held in bondage. They're living in bondage. They're living in starvation. They're living in sickness and disease and cannibalism. Of course, not literally. But, I mean, just look around at the world that we're in right now. We're tearing one another apart in this country. We're tearing one another apart. And the only way to stop and get this thing turned around is the church. Not the church building, but the church people. Because we've got something that they need in order to bring peace and joy back into their lives. And we've got it. And we need to share it. We need to not try to figure out how to hide it. But to get out there with it. And all the while we have that bounty of good news and a choice. That we either hide it or we share it. And some people say, well, you know, Pastor, if if I could just get this person to church. If I could just get this person, you know, I've invited them to church and they won't come. And I know that if I get them to church, Pastor, you're going to change their lives. (laughs) There are people that you can speak to that I can't. As a matter of fact, what I want to establish today, and I want you to hear me, I want you to hear me online. If you're listening to us online, I want you to hear me that this is not the pastor's responsibility to save souls. Right. I got one amen over here. Saying, right. <laughs> say, so, what, I have responsibility in this? I absolutely got responsibility in this. It's not my responsibility. See, the, the responsibility of the pastor comes from uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some um, uh, evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers, what are they put there for? For the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. Right. Amen. This is equipping time. Right. Amen. The, you know, I, I, I am such a proponent of or a supporter of the pastor, that the church is, this church building is not the place of salvation. I mean, we do that, but it's not the prime point. The prime point of salvation is me as a Christian, not me as a pastor. You as a Christian. You have, you come here to get equipped so that you can go do the work of the ministry. And that's what I'm talking about today. Because the good news, the gospel of Jesus, the good news, because if you take this word good news and you put it over into the Greek New Testament, it means the gospel. The good news is and always has been the responsibility of the everyday Christian. Because if we experience the good news, we must not hide the good news because of our confidence Because of our thinking, how people are going to react, how we're going to lose friends, how to lose friends and influence people the wrong way is to become a Christian a lot of times. No, we have the influence. See, that's why Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. All the world is not the globe. All the world is your realm of influence. Because you've got people that you can minister to that I could never, As a matter of fact, if you said, this is my pastor, and he's got something to say to you, they're going to go, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't know him. I don't trust him. But I know you, and I trust you. We're responsible for the good news that we have. Because when we have the good news, we become the intersection of their life. We become the intersection. See, the cross of Jesus Christ is an intersection. Have you ever looked at the cross? It's an intersection. It is an intersection. It is when we're walking one way. We've got a journey this way, and Jesus intersects our life. We are a walking cross when we have Jesus in our life. Are you with me? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, you can just write this down. But it says that the message of the cross is the power of God to those who are being saved. The message of the cross is the power of God to those who are being saved. You carry the cross, you say well pastor how do i how do i share how How do I share what What does it take to share? This is what I want you to know when when God called Joshua in the Old Testament, called Joshua to enter into the promised land, he told joshua be um, be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. He told him three times before he even went in there, be strong and of good courage. The word, so how do you share this? Number one, be strong. That means an intensity and, a, and passionate. Are you glad w- at what God has done for you through Jesus Christ? Are you glad that you're a Christian? Are you passionate if somebody were to step up in your life and say, oh, you ain't no Christian, you would say, I beg to differ. If you want to fight, we'll go out there and I'll show you. <laughs> no, we, we get passionate about that stuff. That same passion is what's going to translate over into someone's intersection. I'll take this cross and whoop you with it. No. You got to be strong. You got to be intense and passionate about what you've been given. Number 2, be courageous. That means to be bold and confident. And number 3, you got to open your mouth. You got to open your mouth. You got to you got to speak. You got to proclaim. He said go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the good news well, what if, what if they reject me? I think that's probably our biggest fear when we share the gospel, the good news with somebody. I think, I think that's our biggest fear is, what if they reject me? Here's what you need to look at. Is the good news of Jesus Christ is not about you. It's about Jesus. And Jesus has been rejected enough to where he can handle it. So quit making it about you. You're not speaking the gospel of who you are. You're speaking of the, of, of the gospel of what Jesus has done in your life. So talk about Him, not about you. Because if they reject what you're saying, they're rejecting Jesus. They're not rejecting you, and He can take it. See, people in this life that's in your realm that don't know Jesus... They don't just need to know about Jesus. They need to experience Jesus. They don't need to know just about the love of God. They need to experience the love of God. And that happens through you. The cross through you is the intersection that they need to turn their lives. We've got a lot of techniques out there. Um... There there are techniques to help Christians um, minister to people. There's there's things like the four spiritual laws. There's things like you, you know when I first became a Christian, I went to a class called visitation evangelism, which means that you go and knock on somebody's door. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? <laughs> Didn't you see the sign? No soliciting. <laughs> Get off my property. There's visitation evangelism. There's four spiritual laws. There's the way of the master, all these techniques. But the thing that I found out about those techniques is they're not organic. You know, you start approaching people and say, especially if you don't know and you're you're telling them, hey, do you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? It's like, they push back. What happened, what we need to do is we need to be pushing into Holy Spirit opportunities with people. See, Psalm, Psalm 81 says, God says in Psalm 81, He says, Open your mouth and I will fill it. So that means in the realm that you run in, the people that you run in, the people that God's given you influence uh, in their lives, you, you're friends with people who aren't saved, who aren't born again. God does things for you to be able to minister to them. One of those things comes up in, in um, or a couple of those things come up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where it says, talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And, and one of them is a word of wisdom. That you're around people and you can begin to, you know, you, you just enter into this place where a word of wisdom comes up. What is a word of wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to solve a problem or diffuse a crisis in their life or answer a question that is going to affect them spiritually. Just an example of a word of wisdom Uh, the last worship night we had, the worship night we had last month, I was here and I was standing back here by the sound booth and I was just standing there. I was having, that day was just a difficult day with what was going on in my body. My neck was stiff and it was hurting. And so I'm back there and I'm, I'm rolling my neck around, trying to loosen my neck up, you know, and I'm worshiping and hurting. And one of our ladies here in the church, she was behind me. She come up and she said, God just told me that your neck is bothering you because you're, 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 you're ha- holding on to something that you shouldn't be holding on to and you need to lay that down. And you know what? It was. And when I laid that down, I told God, I said, I'm giving this to you. My neck loosened up. And I had no more pain. And I wasn't even tremoring at that point. It was a a word of wisdom. And the word of wisdom in someone's life is going to be organic that they know that God does love me, despite where I'm at second one is like a word of knowledge. It says in the Bible, a word of knowledge. A word of knowledge uh, reveals an issue that the Spirit of God wants to be involved in your life. Um, I was preaching in California at a uh, church there, and when I got up to to minister, I felt like God had dropped a, a, a word of knowledge, something that I had knowledge of, but I didn't know. That don't make sense, does it? but that's what it was because God knew and he's using me to, to give it. And I said, you know, just a room full of people. I said, you know, there's somebody that's been given a word of bursitis and God wants to heal you of bursitis. Well, of the people that were there, nobody, nobody answered. I'm like, well, I miss God, I guess. I didn't think I did, but I guess I did. And so we went on with the service and all that kind of stuff. Well, later on in the afternoon, a gentleman that was there, he went to lunch with some people and found out that that person had bursitis that he went to lunch with. And he said, I prayed for him, and God healed him. He said it was so cool. And then he was able to talk to them about Jesus because a word of knowledge had been given, and that word of knowledge transferred to somebody else. And brought healing to them. Because God loves them. Amen. I didn't even know what bursitis was. I just said it. And God did it. Amen. Amen. It was organic. It wasn't me going, got to go down my checklist of what I need to say so that somebody can hear the gospel. And, the, and one of the best things that you can use to influence people in the gospel is your testimony your testimony your story what has god done for you it's not about it's not about what questions you're asking them and leading them down this path it is totally about what god has done for you because you're an intersection you carry the force of intersection on the inside of you amen yeah. those things create the intersection but here's one last thing from this story. When the lepers got up, they got up and went at twilight. That's the, the space between the sun shining and the moon shining. It's that place in between that's looking at that darkness coming on. And I want to tell you, if you don't know, that we, I believe in this time, in this space that we live in right now, it is twilight, And people need to hear the gospel. It's getting more to the place where Jesus is coming back soon and that darkness is going to try to enter in. Darkness is going to try to settle on this earth. But we're living in the twilight. We're living in the twilight and God is saying, I need you in this twilight. I need you to get up and go. I need you to go and experience what I've done for you and take it and share that. It's time because we're living in the twilight. Dark days are coming. But you're in the twilight. Yeah. Amen. God's going to honor when you open your mouth and he fills it. Amen. So here's the bottom line. So we have a responsibility to share the good news of what we've been given. Did you hear me? We have a responsibility. Yeah. We have the responsibility of sharing what God has given us and that we can enjoy the spoils of what we've been given, but not hide them. We can't hide, we can't hide what God has given us. Well, you know, pastor, I, you know, I, I've asked Jesus into my heart. I got my fire insurance, so I'm just going to sit back and let him do it, let you do it. We don't have that luxury anymore, guys. We're living in twilight. We're living in twilight. So in that, we bury the cross. Uh, we bear the cross. We bear the cross of Jesus Christ. We have been given the intersection for those who are around us. So here's what I want to do today. Rhett, would you come up and play for me? I want to, I want to challenge you just a little bit. You're going to go, oh no. So would you do something for me? Would you all stand up on your feet just for a minute? we're going to do something what what I want to do is not hide the good news that we've been given and i want to show you how easy this is to be able to share with someone this is just the this is just the bare bones of of sharing with someone <sighs> I'm gonna ask you to do something in just a minute. What I'm gonna ask you to do is I'm gonna ask you to go to someone and I want you to ask them, if you were to die today, if you were to die right now, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? And listen to them. And then when, when when you who are asked that question, then I want you to ask the same question back to the same person. So it's going to require some movement. That's going to require you to get out of your comfort zone. This is the one rule that I have is you cannot ask the question to your spouse. Because if you do, I know there's going to be ladies in here when their husband, when they ask their husband and he says, yes, I, I know Jesus. And she says no, you don't. That's not the way, that's not what you displayed a while ago. You're going to hell. You're doomed. You can't. So I want to keep the peace in families. So I'm going to ask you to go to someone that you don't know or someone who's not a part of your family. And I want you to ask them, if you were to die right now, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? So I'll show you. Amy, if you were to die right now, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? She said yes. Now you ask me. I am, I would go to heaven, I'm 100% sure, amen, yeah. that's, that's good to know, that's good to know, is it, for a pastor to say that, so here's the, here's what I want you to do, I want, I want you to find somebody, I want you to, 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 to ask, so to, don't give them your biography, just a simple yes or no once you've been asked, so go, do it. together. just you that are here. I want y'all to repeat this with me. All right. Are you ready? If you would, say this prayer with me, say heavenly father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And I believe that today as I lock eyes with you, Jesus, you are that cross that intersects my life today. And today I'm going to give you my life. 100% I give you my life I believe when I say Jesus is Lord He is Lord of my life and He is my Savior today I am a Christian I am born again and today is a marked day that the intersection of the cross is in my life and Jesus is is Miracle. I used to you think, well, you know, if I saw somebody raised from the dead, if I saw somebody healed of cancer, if I saw somebody, um, you know, blind eyes open or whatever, that'd be a great miracle. But today, what you witnessed is the greatest miracle, the greatest miracle that you could ever witness or be a part of. God is good. So now take what you've been given and go share it with the world. Go share it. for you, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for every person who not only came up here, but, Father, every person in this building, every person that is watching online, listening to podcasts, wherever they're at, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that they would take this miracle and they would run with it and that they would go and tell the world, go into all the world and tell what you've done for them. Father, I thank you and I praise you so much for your word thank you for the miracle signs and wonders that follow after your word in jesus name amen and amen